episode of the Allure podcast is made possible by Ulta Beauty. Last year, Allure and Ulta Beauty launched See Yourself, See Each Other, a project that inspired honest conversations around inclusivity, identity, and representation in beauty. For our second edition, we're looking at acceptance through a more personal lens. We challenged celebrities, influencers, and editors to share their journeys from self-consciousness to self-acceptance in an effort to inspire people across the country to recognize the beauty in their own uniqueness. Learn more at allure.com forward slash see yourself, see each other. All right. Hey, everyone. Hi, Drew. Hi, Michelle. I'm so excited to be here today with the amazing Drew Barrymore. You and I are the same age. I actually looked up your birthday when I was doing research are for this. Are we? You're February. I right? am. And I'm May. Oh, my God. So I feel literally like I have grown up with you. I usually start this off with talking about people's childhood, mm-hmm. but I feel like a lot of people know about your your childhood, how you grew up. You grew up in the spotlight. So I guess my first question for you is growing up in the spotlight yep. and you know being a child star, what was your first memory of beauty? Definitely my mom, really her little tiny vanity table. And we lived in, you know, very economically challenged times growing up. And her little vanity tables were always little makeshift desks or tables or almost like a tray put out. But those glass bottles, the sort of crystal wings on top of a perfume bottle and all those scents, her loofah. She was a big loofah person. Like, those are my first memories of beauty. She was a single mom working in the comedy store in the Troubadour. She really loved rock stars and comedians. <laughs> I like comedians, not the dark ones, but, like, the ones who— uh, who doesn't want someone who makes you laugh, whether it's your friend, your boyfriend, your husband, doesn't matter— your coworkers. And we just grew up in a very specific time of the 70s in West Hollywood. And she didn't wear a lot of makeup. She usually did sort of like a berry lip and eyeliner. She famously had no eyelashes. She always used to complain about it. Oh my God, you just evoked a memory that is so (laughs) scarring to me, by the way. no. No, it's awesome. Okay. My mother wore these triangle flesh-colored things that you lick the back of like a stamp, and you stick them in your forehead in between the crease of your, you know, eyebrows, and they're called frownies. Everyone thought my mother was in a cult. It was horrifying to stop you from frowning. (laughs) And she would—I think it was like a nighttime thing, like in your sleep where no one can see you. She used to bust those out all day long, every day. So when that woman comes to pick you up from anywhere and she's got <laughs> the thing on her forehead, it's weird. And that, I think, might be my definitely one of the uh, burnt-in-brain beauty memories. I've never done Botox or Juvederm. I haven't touched my face surgically, needle-wise, in any way. But I would recommend to her, like, go get some Botox or something and stop wearing that sticker on your forehead because it's <laughs> So distracting. I don't know. I feel like we're we're bringing back frownies in a big way right now. Oh, man. I'm telling you. Everybody look them up, frownies. <laughs> so who back then was the epitome of beauty for you? Like, was it your mom? Did you, did you have a celebrity that you looked up to when you were a kid? I was always into, and I was just speaking to my daughters about this, I said, you have to know the term chameleon when it comes to people out there that you admire. Miss Gaga is uh, the epitome of that. 
And she really reminds me of David Bowie. And there was a moment where she did his, you know, tribute at the Grammys and was him. And I thought it was just the perfect alignment of the stars. I loved Madonna. I loved Elton John. I always was drawn to people who, Barbara Streisand, Jane Fonda, you never knew what they were going to look like as a character or in a movie or the way they were wearing their hair and makeup, the style, share. You know, this is what inspired me growing up. I loved the theatrics, but I really loved the curiosity, the burning question of what are they going to do next? And then when they present that, so I was teaching my daughters that that's the term chameleon, that they change their colors. And so those were always my big influences growing up. Yeah. So back then, were you always experimenting with hair and makeup and everything? Oh, my God. I've had every color hair. I spent, you know, a decade just doing nothing but going to festivals and traveling the country, you know, in the world, just putting crazy amounts of makeup on my face because back then it was before social media and it was so experimental and anyone can come on the stage looking, you know, absolutely outlandish. So why can't you be outlandish in the crowd? And it was just a time of great freedom. And I, at my 10th birthday party, got like a CoverGirl compact with lime green chartreuse eyeshadow and put it from all over my eyes, all the way in a stripe out to my temples. And eyeshadow to me was not just for the eyes, it was for the face. And I've definitely just dug my fingers in different compacts and just painted stripes all over my face and, you know, done white eyeliner and, you know, taken lip crayons and eye crayons and drawn hearts or stars or things. And, you know, I love that that's all so normal now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like you were talking before we started this, that your daughters get into your bags of beauty stuff? Are they very into experimenting with color too? I mean, I've done full picture books that's just called Olive's Makeup. I mean, they put it literally all over their face. The other day, I took the girls to see Moulin Rouge, and Frankie, she's five. She's getting fussy at one point, and I don't know why I just handed her my lipstick. I turned around to her about two minutes later. Her entire face was covered in the lipstick. We were to go backstage afterwards. I just was like, uh, okay. So she is, I mean, (laughs) forehead to chin, temple to temple, the whole face was covered in lipstick. But I just like started laughing and I took off my belt, which was like a canvas and I dipped it in my water and I just handed it to her. And magically when the show ended, she had wiped it all off perfectly (laughs) and looked rather normal. And I just thought, that's why you don't freak out about things like that. That's amazing. I have two kids right now and one on the way. Oh! So I have a, a son, and my, my daughter is 11. And so she and her friends, probably like two— Congratulations! Th- thank you so much. About two years ago, I was like, God, they know so much about makeup. Yeah. Because like they all watch Instagram videos oh, and yeah. YouTube and stuff. And yep. then she started maybe a year or two ago— asking me, can I try contouring? Can I try these other things? And what I like about her experimenting with makeup is that she looks at it truly as a creative outlet Mm -hmm. as opposed to, I have to do this to fit some standard. Yeah. I think uh, I heard Millie Bobby Brown is coming out with a line of makeup. I think that's brilliant. We always wanted to go into like the tween category because I think there's a great way to introduce makeup to young girls where it is the message. It's all about expression and creativity. And I think beauty 
back in the day was a little bit more of you need this to present yourself. Exactly. It was very prescriptive. Yes, exactly. And like there was something we all had to be that we weren't. So I think the messaging right now, there's so many problems in the world. And I feel like beauty is in a very psychologically healthy place as far as the color cosmetics and there is a point, I think, where a lot of girls, maybe a bit young, are doing some alterations. That concerns me. I'm not going to lie. But I feel like for color cosmetics and skincare, those things are just sending the right messages to people. Yeah, definitely. We were talking about Instagram and YouTube and everything. And I, I think about with our kids growing up, it is so different because... When I used to take photos when I was a kid, right, we had like our camera, you would get it developed, and you would have to wait a while to actually see your photos. Now they, on a daily basis, almost like on a minute-by-minute basis, are looking at images of themselves. So I'm like, it's going to be really interesting to see how they all grow up within that. But you sort of grew up a bit with that, too, because being on the big screen, when you look back, how do you think that being in the public eye but also seeing yourself all the time on the big screen influenced you? Well, I think it's the best weapon I can have in my arsenal as a mother for my daughters, which I wouldn't have known at the time. I couldn't even have known, you know, six years ago what the power of this would be as far as social media. And I just really was able to discern what was real and what was total, can I say it? Yeah, yeah. Bullshit. (laughs) It's absolute bullshit. And you know, a lot of the aesthetic changes or the filters and everything on social media, this is, you know, we're asking younger and younger people to sort of look in the strangest way older and older and older. When you get older, it's all about looking younger and younger and younger. So I think that aspect of it is just totally out of whack. I know what is important in this life and in this world I've grown up in front of the public eye and had to raise myself for better or for worse. I'm so happy with where my life is at. I'm glad it all sort of in some ways worked out. But there were a lot of things I had to go through in front of everybody that were not comfortable. Ultimately, it led to such a great freedom to not have to pretend to be perfect. But what that will ultimately pay off in such dividends is being empathic and constructive with my kids when they're going through stuff in front of their friends, in front of their teachers, you know, in the world, inside their own skin that no one can see or feel other than them. And growing up is hard. School is a just a bizarre rite of passage socially. I think the goal was to you know, get people to be educated and then go out in the world and become something. But I also think it was designed for parents to get a break in the day. (laughs) And I think it was also, look, we're here in this point in our life and you're there and they're so diametrically opposed. You have to be in a pool with people that are struggling with exactly where you're at in life. And so the social aspect of what school does for kids is far more than just the education itself. I think everywhere in our office at school, it all feels very small town. I don't care where you live, what country, what the economics are. I think we tend to, ironically, in such a big world, confine ourselves in these groups of people uh, that make 
it feel like everyone kind of knows your business. You're kind of trying to save face or you're putting it out there to say, hey, aren't we all going through stuff? You know, can we be real about what this journey in life is? So that would be a positive for kids. And I think there are powers of social media that are going to dispel. And that's really the way I approach social media is total business with like, Nobody else doing it but me and my cohort, Christy, just keeping it very real, not having layers of corporate filth on top of corporate filth, but also just here is no makeup. Here is my hat. Like, here is just the real world I live in. Because I can see when it's all so fabulous and being posted. It really does affect people. Like, my life isn't good enough, or God, theirs looks so good. But that harkens back to my original point of being at school, kids, social media. Things look tantalizing and appetizing. And if you're not a part of that, you know, that's that's an awkward, painful thing to go through. But that was there before social media. That is a rite of passage. And I think just understanding humanity at different ages and what that journey is, is about being empathic, incredibly strong, and seeing through all the bullshit. Yeah. Do you feel like when you look back at your younger years, do you feel like you were confident back then? If you could write a letter to your younger self, like what would you say now? I was overly confident when I was young. And I can see it in my seven-year-old daughter, too. She's really, she's a bull. She's the rock, and Frankie, my other daughter, is the wings. She's light as a feather, and they are in that, in their body, in their spirit. Frankie is like a human dandelion. If you blow on her, her, like, spores and particles will just trail off into little wishes into the universe. And Olive is literally going to cut the red wire and blue wire and save us all from, like, (laughs) the catastrophic, like, situation. It's amazing how at that age, like, it's so set already. (laughs) They're so pronounced. It's just incredible. I'm sorry. God, I got lost in them. What was your question? (laughs) If you could write a letter to your younger self, what would you say now? The same thing every woman wants to hear. It's going to be okay. Yeah. It's, like, amazing if men or our lovers of any orientation just new to say to all of us girls in the world of any age, it's going to be okay. It's like the better, it's the best medicine we can get. Yeah, I totally agree with that. After the break, we'll talk about the many branches of Drew's flower company, her thoughts on body image and aging, and her beauty and self-care regimen. You all know I love Ulta Beauty. For one, I think we have a lot in common as brands, since we both celebrate the beauty in every person and believe beauty is limitless. I live in the suburbs, so I love going to the stores out there, which are enormous. You can find almost anything in makeup, fragrance, hair care, and skincare. They have over 20,000 products. And have you been to the one in Manhattan? Oh my God, it is amazing. It's just light and bright and has such a good fun vibe because Ulta Beauty knows you aren't there to get beautiful, you're there because you already are. Visit Ulta.com to learn more and find a store near you. Ulta Beauty, the possibilities are beautiful. Welcome back to the Allure Podcast. Our conversation with Drew Barrymore continues. Okay, so I want to talk a bit about Flower. Yeah. So again, congratulations on your Best of Beauty Award. Thank you. (laughs) I'm so proud to say we've won a few. And I think to me, it is the Academy Awards of beauty. I don't think, you know, it's it's the Nobel Prize and it's the 
the Peabody. It's all <laughs> the like really highest echelon awards you can get. And that seal, uh, which is so brilliantly crafted because it's just, you know, immediate eye connection and and trust. And if you can build trust with people, I think that's, you know, one of the most important things. And yeah. so that seal of approval literally is such a big deal in the beauty world. So oh, there are honor badges. Thank We're like you. scouts and we have all of our allure badges. <laughs> we'll start making vests and stuff Yeah, too. <laughs> no, by the way, that's a really good idea. I'm on that. <laughs> okay, so tell me what flower is because I think flower beauty, we obviously know, but flower is so many different businesses as well. Your production, yes. your home, your fashion, everything. What are the industries that you have your hand in right now? We, I've had flower films since I was 19 and we're still producing. We produced all the movies we made, whether it's you know, a Charlie's Angels or a Fifty First Dates or one of my absolute favorites thank of all time. You. I will watch it like a hundred more times because people want happy movies. Yeah. You know, I could not invest in a lot of dramas. I've made a few here and there, but God, they're just depressing, and I don't want to watch it. Although I just watched like The Act, Handmaid's Tale, and like some other show, and I was like, Oh, Big Little Lies. I was like. God, we are all so effed up. It's unreal. <laughs> they will bring you to a dark place. It would. It did. But God, they were all so good that I just got sucked in. So I think that flower, to me, the word, I originally tried to call it Daisy Films, but Marlo Thomas, the great Marlo Thomas of Free to Be You and Me and that girl, and most importantly, St. Jude's, this dynamic, magnanimous woman had it. And I thought, well, that's a good omen, but now what? And then I really... I uh, was in love with the book Candide by Voltaire, and it ends with, you know, cultivate your garden. And I thought, well, maybe this is a blessing. Flower films, the word flower is really about everybody, and it's not specific, and it's all-encompassing. And then out of that came flower beauty, flower eyewear, flower home, flower kids. I think flower eyewear is self-explanatory, but I loved going into eyewear second because it felt like a natural branch grown off the tree, which is all the nucleus is flower films. And then the branch of flower beauty. Flower eyewear is great because it's so synonymous with beauty. You are yep. literally choosing to wear almost like, you know, an acrylic type of color on your face in the form of it's like lipstick yep. for your we eyes. We always say that here too, that eyewear makes so much sense within the beauty world. It just does. So it was, and I think that slow and steady wins the race. I think having a lack of greed not spreading yourself too thin is just crucial. And every time I've done it, I have failed. Honestly, it's like there's just no prescription that is better than taking your time. You want to build and the rockier and speedier and less, you know, carefully crafted your foundation is, the quicker it will topple. That's just the facts. And not everything can be a success. And that's okay. Yeah. It's like, it's just not possible. You just aren't going to get the bullseye every single time. And you have to be zen about that too. But I also believe that nothing is a failure and nothing is a mistake. It may not work ultimately, but it will be, even if that block tumbles, you will have learned something from it. And that block will be stronger the next time that you attempt it again. So then we started with Flower Home. And really, I think you know, one of the things that spoke to me about beauty was I've always loved makeup. That's evident. You can look at any era of my life and see that I have paint to my temples. 
And I never played it safe. I always had fun because all my influencers were so amazingly bold and unafraid. So that just gave me so much confidence. I think that's why the Gagas of the world and the David Boys are just so important because they just tell everybody to be who they are with such celebration. And then Flower Home is just something that I'm glad it finally came around in my life because it, it is probably the biggest part of my life. Design and building homes and creating wallpapers and prints and patterns and finding things off the side of the road and decorating places. I'm always buying something, setting it up, and then reselling it or living in it for 20 years. Design is my life. And I travel the world collecting things. So to finally actually be in business in a category, it's like breathing for me. And then Flower Kids is now our kids' home line is one of the things I've been the most proud of. And I don't say that often. In fact, all I do is like beat myself up and expect and demand more. I'm really hard on myself. I never kick back, put up my feet and go, you did a good job on that. It's like Da Vinci Code self-flagellation 24-7. Which is hard, but I also think that's why you're successful. (laughs) I think, unfortunately, like, you know, they're the ambitious driven people. I can't relate to them. Like, I I just, I'm not ambitious. I'm not driven. See, that's so crazy to me because I feel like you are. I feel like you're so, I would definitely say that you're driven just based on all of like the the different industries that you're working in right now. No, my problem is, is I can't stop. (laughs) It's like, it's so bubbling up within me that I would just explode. And Is it the type of thing where you'll be home at night laying in bed and you're like, oh my God, I have this idea. That's all I do. I think it's the only way you can also multitask, but I like everything under the flower banner. I think it it has some boundaries that also really help me. Again, when I've gone into other businesses, they may have been fun and they may have brought tremendous pleasure or education or just foray into something that you're interested in. But I just, every time I stay in the flower world, I find sanity, but I think the reason why people could probably do acting their whole life is because you're like, I want to be a person who, you know, is interested in the rainforest. Then you'll go play a person who lives in the rainforest, like living in a tree, and you can fulfill that fantasy. So I have so many fantasies, and I think the strongest one really for me is interior design. And I can see myself going into that world very happily because it is where I just feel the best. And I love color. I think if you love color, I wear cosmetics, design. The last thing on earth that speaks to me is a gray world. I think I have came out of the womb with a martini and a cigarette going like, <laughs> hey, let's do this. And then I also think somewhere in the back of my mind was like, how can I paint everything that I do in bold, bright colors. I think that's why I don't like dramas. They're gray, they're black, they're dark. The chiaroscuro aspect, I mean, unless you're talking about a smoky eye, I I can't, I can't do it. I want, I want the brightest rainbow possible. Yeah. And I feel like that fits very much with what I think people think about you. You make people feel happy. Oh, good. I'm so (laughs) glad. I mean, God, good. I I hate air takers. I hate people who suck the energy or are selfish. I really, I I can't stand them. I don't want to be around them. I want to be around people who have just got each other's backs and who are thinking over time and working on cylinders 
who take care of each other. And I know they exist because I'm around a lot of them. You know, I I love to surround myself in people who are always working for the greater good and are good to each other. And there's like a healthiness to it. So I have to tell you a story. Our very first guest that we had on this podcast was Aquafina. Oh my God, and I'm so, so in love with her. I love her so I'm much. So She's in so love with fun. Her. So, a lot of what we talk about here at Allure, but also on the podcast, is about diversity and representation. Yeah. And so, she and I, when we talked on that first podcast, talked about Lucy Liu uh-huh. and about how, looking back, especially at that time, what like a pivotal person she was for both of us. Mm. The fact that, especially around that time, like the representation for Asian Americans was like zero besides yeah. Lucy Liu. And I feel like you were such an important person of bringing her to a bigger stage. When you were making Charlie's Angels, was that a thought in your mind? Were you thinking about representation and diversity, which of course were not like the buzzy words they are today? Or was it truly just she's the best person for this role and she's got it? No, it was very much about diversity. In fact, me and uh, Cameron were both like, God, why are we both so, like, white? Like, how do we, like, balance this out? Great, I'm producing it, and there's no way I'm not being in it. And she was the first person I asked because I had a long history with her. We had been friends since we were 14 and 16, and I knew that if you think about rainbows and sunshine and capability— I think she's more sunshine and capacity. I'm more the rainbow and like the weird and the oddball. So we ha- we knew we had all that, but we had it in the form of two Caucasian women. When we first brought it to Sony Pictures to present ourselves to produce it, the mood boards and presentation we brought, and my partner Nancy Javon and Fallon and I are just very homework oriented. Like we're very scholastic about our approach. We came in with our Jansport backpacks and like our cardboard pinups and our, you know, book. And I I came in with a VHS that was like a mixtape visual of all the different films I wanted it to be like. Um, It had everything from Bruce Lee to My Best Friend's Wedding to, you know, old Chevy Chase movies. And it was just all in there. And all of our boards reflected every ethnicity for the angels. So the fact that it was me and Cameron at first, we were freaking out because that wasn't the movie we set out to do in some ways. So we opened it up to find this third angel, and it became sort of a fun game in the industry. Who's going to be the third angel? And for us, it was about finding someone who didn't feel just like us, but also fit chemistry-wise. It wasn't the square peg in the round hole. We weren't trying to prove a point. It was just the vision we had. So it was just a goal we had set up for ourselves. And when Lucy came in, it was like, this is her. This is the fit. This is where the three little bears and everything about it was it was right. Mm. And she just checks so many boxes. She's a great comedian. She's physically beyond capable. And she really is. She works out. She eats her like bento box healthy foods. I'm sitting in the trailer eating like a breakfast burrito, squeezing myself into my jeans. <laughs> you know, like Cameron's six foot tall and you know, her. And I was like, all right, yeah, we're I'm going to represent like normal genetics. And then we've got the stallion over here in Cameron Diaz. And then we've got Lucy Liu, who literally is everything. She's beautiful. She's funny. 
Yes, she is Asian. She's capable. She's a great actress. She's a good friend. She's a good person. She's a team player. And we just, we were looking for that perfect fit. But yes, that was our goal. That's awesome. Well, you were ahead of your time. Thanks. I'm and it glad. definitely, it meant a lot to me and to Aquafina. Good. Well, um, I'm in love with her <laughs> and you. So perfect. Well, thank you. Okay, so I want to pivot and talk a little bit about body. So like I said, so I am 18 weeks pregnant right now. And so having had two others before, I feel like in my own life, being pregnant, giving birth, like motherhood has changed how I feel about my body. How over time do you feel like your thoughts about your own body have changed? Well, I always, you know, sort of understood that I was just not a skinny type, that I'm genetically predispositioned to my Aunt Ethel, and if that doesn't kind of paint the picture just by her name, but I'm not thin, and I struggle with my weight. And then growing up under a Hollywood lens is like pretty much the most toxic, skewed, ridiculous thing. And again, I just saw through the bullshit. I thought that poor person having like their cellulite photographed on the beach, that gets the bullshit sticker. Or people who come out of just giving birth and they're post baby body, you know, two weeks later and they're looking incredible. I'm like, which is crazy. You still look pregnant after you give birth. <laughs> I'm like, and eh, that gets the bullshit meter. Either they've starved themselves or they're genetically predisposed two things that are not on the average person's, you know, menu. I also just saw like people going like, it was almost like every day was someone's wedding and they were just starving themselves mm -hmm. for it. And I just thought, just looked miserable. So I thought, this is who I am. This is what I have. And I can choose to battle it, starve myself, resent it, not feel like I'm fitting into a certain cookie cutter Hollywood shape, all that stuff. And I just thought, Oh, God, no. That is bullshit. So I lived my life very confidently. And it's why I love having my daughters at a school with uniforms. It's like, just don't think about that in your day. You'll have plenty of time to figure that out later. When they do express themselves in clothes, it's so fun. My daughter, Olive, has the dopest fashion style. Her nickname is DJ Bear Bear. She wears glitter Doc Martens and, like, mesh like tank tops and loves to color her hair. Oh my God, your kids are so cool. And I'm just like, <laughs> this is so awesome. And then it's like, go to school and don't have competition with your friends or spend that 15 minutes flipping out about what you're going to wear that day. Like save that for like your definition of yourself, your pleasure, your journey, your weekends, your evenings, all of it. I'm just so in your summer. I'm. It's so great. It's such a nice balance. And then when I started having babies, I remember my friends were like, wow, we all thought you would get like so much bigger. And I was like, I know, right? Like I did too. I swear to God, being pregnant was like the first time my stomach was tight. <laughs> I was psyched. So, and then after, and I had C-sections, which was really hard. I tried not to, but both my, uh, my daughter, Olive in particular is so stubborn. It's no wonder she wasn't coming out. I should have known right then and there who I was dealing with. She's an immovable ball. <laughs> and then that really screws up your body. And there's just not a lot of discussion out there about post-baby body, how you get it back, what's the healthy route. Yeah. Well, well C-section is major surgery. Oh, my God. My entire insides were on a slab next to me. I was told. I couldn't see. I was on major, <laughs> like, I don't even know what they give you to cut you open, but I... 
It was gnarly. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, my body completely, like, if I thought <laughs> I had challenges before, I really had it good before I had kids. But I look at them, and they're so worth it, and I'm 44, and I'm not trying to, like, land dudes. And, you know, a red carpet to me used to be so much more about, like, the makeup and the hair rather than the fashion and I just, it's not where my priorities are at anymore. So I'm like, well, that's the new reality. And then I think just like wrinkles and all of the stuff that starts to happen into your face, like day one is shocking. And by another year or two later, you're just used to it. Yep. And it's just what it is. And we're all lucky to be alive. Yeah. And that's, you know, pushing tulips is the alternative. So like... Yeah, and so you, I read, had, what is it called when you have the separation of the muscle? It's re uh, abdominus rectus? Is that it's it? like diastasis or something. Yeah, so, yeah, and then so you had that, and then I've read that you had M-sculpt. Yes, I did. It was really helpful, actually, because my biggest problem with working out is I have no pelvic floor. And then after two C-sections, I mean, it's like a fish tank on a pole, and you're trying to, like— you know, everyone's like, work from the core. And I'm like, I've never met my core. So I don't know what you're talking about. So I started doing M-Sculpt and then PT Pilates, which is literally the complete understanding of how your pelvic floor functions. So between the two, I started working out in a way where I wasn't getting injured all the time because I throw myself around in these classes. I get all amped up from the music. And before you know it, you know, I'm like a beach ball bouncing around these classes. And then I end up in my, you know, chiropractor or back doctor's office going, what happened? I did a burpee. I slipped a disc. I mean, it was serious. Oh, my God. So I ended up in a hospital having to get an epidural so that I could go back to work. Whoa. And I just thought, you know, I'm so sick of this. What can I do to do my workouts and not get injured? What I would have to do in my life is basically quit my job, go work at Muscle and Fitness, and literally do nothing but all day long, like, tone and sculpt my body while eating, like, egg whites. And none of that appeals to me. Yep. Same, same here. So, like, I feel like a lot of times people don't realize to get, like, the body that is totally shredded that we see in, like, some movie stars. It's, like, just what you have to go through on, like, a daily basis. I, I can't. <laughs> I can't. And it's, like, you know, I have my two kids. I don't know if I'll ever, like, be in a relationship again. I've been divorced for four years. You know, I'm sure it will happen. And, of course, now that I put that out there, it will probably happen tomorrow because <laughs> I just jinxed myself. But it's like I don't care what another person thinks about when they look at me. What I do care about is my own conscience, my own Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> do you feel like you have a core now? My whole infrastructure inside is completely different. I don't know how much the outside is totally different, but the inside is totally different. And I I have not been in a doctor's office with an injury in like almost a year. That's great. It's a miracle. Are you someone who, I guess throughout your entire life, have you ever been critical of yourself in photos? Because I feel like I've come across some people who don't watch themselves ever on screen, who are like very, very specific about either face tuning or using filters and everything, which it doesn't seem like you are like that. But like in your lifetime, have you ever been like critical of yourself? It gets harder as you get older. I will see the monitor 
all the time at photo shoots and just think, holy hell, I hate what I'm seeing. I don't feel good about myself. Where did my chin go? Why is it inside my neck? Why are my two eyes so different? Why, like, does the hair not look right? Oh, my God, my puffiness, like, my dark circles. I will literally eviscerate myself, and I'll just think, you know what? Eventually, I don't want to do this anymore because I don't want to look at myself that way. I don't look in the mirror and think that. I think, whoa, like, you need some products and a good night's sleep and some, like, a lack of sodium. But after a full few days of just being good to yourself, it's amazing how different you look and different you feel. And again, I'm so much about like patience and transitions and slowness and the instantaneousness of looking at yourself on a monitor is really hard. And I have to say, like, I won't be doing it that much longer because I just don't care. The problem is I care so much about my involvement and how much I am a driving force into all these brands that I want to be there. I want to be with those kids in Flower Home in the photo shoot. I want to be on the kiosk at Flower Beauty because this is my brand or a brand I have that I work on with a lot of other people. There is no I in team, but I want to be representing. I'm in there formulating and packaging and doing all of this stuff. I want my damn picture on bubble brow. Like, <laughs> So it's funny because I have such pride um, in all the hard work I've put into every single little aspect and detail that I want to shout it from the rooftops. And a way to do that is to put your picture there. Yeah, and you should. When I started Flower Beauty, what's been interesting about the industry is it was still at the height of, like, the sort of downfall of celebrity brands, the perfume industry. It was all crashing. And so I didn't put my name on Flower. And now we've gone past that, evolved through it, and now we're in the wonderful era of founder brands. And it's funny how the celebrity word is so cheesy and sounds so vapid, and the word founder sounds so weighty and of intrigue. Yeah. Well, I think it's also that back in the day when there was a celebrity-related brand, they sort of just slapped their name on it, and they weren't actually the founder of it. You know what I mean? And now it's like we are seeing these amazing founder-led brands like yours that are founded by a celebrity, but you're super involved in it. Yep. Well, I think a lot of people also just get sick of what they're doing, and they want to do more. We're not like these weird marching one thought, one passion, one thing in our life type of people. Everyone's incredibly diverse. And I love that in the last decade, people have really found out how to harness that in a business savvy way. It's what I did with Flower Films. And then eventually I was like, I'm more than an actress and a producer as far as what I care about and what my passions are in life. So I would like to expand on them in a business way. And now that's just standard issue, but it's gone through a lot of growing pains in order to get there. You know, when I started my production company, all the vanity deals were dead because all these actors had taken money from studios and not produced any content. And studios were like, well, you want to make movies for us? Just, we're not going to pay you to be a producer on it. Just act in it. We'll pay you your fee and that's that. And so when I came into it, it was a really strange temperature and environment to have a production company. When I came into the beauty world, it really was the burnout of celebrity name slapping. So 
I've always embraced those challenges of I'm coming into this at a bad time and it's great because eventually it all comes full circle and I think a great thing is is found through like people become the phoenix out of the ashes of what didn't work and then they find out what does work and I think right now is a very profound and prolific time for a lot of people to be a lot of different things and that's accepted yep. and that's great and people have proven it in business that they can do it. Yeah, it's really exciting because I feel like in my generation, when I was first starting in this in this job, in this industry, you kind of had this one path that everybody took, right? To become an, a senior editor, to become an editor-in-chief, whatever. Now I feel like the young people who I talk to, I'm like, what do you want to do in 10 years? And they're like, well, maybe I'll start my own brand. Maybe I'll do this. And it's like just the fact that we've now put this into people's minds that anything is possible. It's awesome. Well, it was, you know, I've always said about all the things I'm doing, you know, they're not corporations, they're companies. And companies are much more synonymous with brands, humanity, upstarts, people being the driving force and the creative behind it. What I loved about being a producer at 19 was, I don't know if it was not having parents, you know, and having to parent myself, but I loved the rules and guidelines of the humility of understanding all your dreams are great and congratulations on all of them. But if you don't realize that you need someone to fund them, you need a business, you know, blueprint and sort of rule book to play by, I thought that that's how people are going to succeed is when they have the respect for business and creativity because they need each other and they don't function without one totally. another. Totally. Okay, so I do want to dig in more on beauty specifically since it's the, the Allure podcast. In your lifetime, you've traveled a ton. Throughout the world, what's your favorite beauty spot? Like, is there a Korea. country? Okay. For sure. Yeah, I feel like everyone now is like, Korea, Korea. When you go, do you come back with a lot of Korean beauty products? Like moving boxes was. <laughs> I'm always looking for innovations. I think also because I don't resort to, I just went to get a laser treatment at the end of like the summer. I'm always like- Your skin looks amazing. Great. Oh God, thank you. By the way, I did it in the dark bathroom, some makeup. So I don't know, I could, it could be really patchy. So I'm always looking for breakthroughs. And I was with my guy and he was doing my lasers and he was like, you know, I would love to put a little Juvederm under your eyes. And I was like, not going to happen, but tell me why. And he's like, well, because the sunkenness is what makes the purple show more. And if I lift it up, it'll hit the light and look less purple. And I was like, great. So I go and I find, you know, different ways to highlight under my eyes because I'm like, great, if that's what you would do surgically, that's what I'm going to do cosmetically. Thanks for the tip, doc. <laughs> um, and it works. It really helps. So, you know, to me, beauty is really about an attitude. There was something I learned very young, which was when I saw people walk into a room and look for validation, I just saw tons of insecurity. And I thought, God, I don't want to hang my hat on other people. So I just thought, walk into that room, not waiting to see what everybody thinks, not needing it. Do your own thing. And if it falls into place, great. If yeah. it doesn't, whatever. But you cannot be living your life looking and seeking exterior validation. 
It's going to be a very exhausting journey. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's one of the good things about the direction that skincare has gone in now, that it's not about pleasing other people or about how you're going to look. It's truly self-care now. Yeah. That it's like, I have so many steps in my skincare routine, but I love every single one of them. I don't look at it as a chore. I look at it as that's my time in the morning. That's my time at night to kind of relax and do those things for myself. Okay, so besides getting laser, what does your skincare routine look like? Well, I do a, a, a hashtag beauty junkie week every year. And it's fun because I have people come up to me and say like, love beauty junkie week. And I get a lot of responses from it. And I usually tend to do it for like 10 or 12 days and the whole week like thing is a, a ruse because I just can't stop. <laughs> but what I like to do is no one solicits me, no one pays me, no one does anything I do always notice the brands that send me stuff afterwards and the brands that don't. I'm like, huh, interesting. Like, no love over there. But then, like, when you least expect it, all these companies will crawl out of the woodwork and be like, hey, thanks for talking about us. Here's a box of stuff. And you're just like, oh, my God, thank you so much. I was using you and buying you regardless. So <laughs> thank you. So it's all, you know, authentic and no influencer money. It's just things that I am learning about along the way that I think make a huge difference. So I am major, major. And the Beauty Junkie Weeks are, are barely about makeup anymore. It's almost all skincare, hair care, vitamins, like, you know, supplements, everything. Uh, so I'm just, I like you. I appreciate you said that. Like, I have my time in the morning and at night and I have these layers of things I do. I love like little tips like let the product that's layer number three dry and soak in before you do layer number four. The order is important. The nighttime, daytime, I've become the world's biggest advocate for sunblock where I never wore sunblock before. And then do you, besides laser, do you get facials or anything else? I don't have time for them. And honestly, I get super irritated in them. I love Shawnee Darden and uh, Georgia Louise on both coasts. So if I ever do something like that, I'm going to do it with them. Yep. They're the best. They're insane. They're amazing. They're worth every penny. And it will probably be like once every two years. Yeah. Well, what I love too is that I feel like a lot of good estheticians and facialists now are incorporating technology in it too, that it's like there's all sorts of like gadgets and stuff. So yeah. It's, it's awesome. No, I know. I I wish I did it, but instead it's it's like sitting for a mani-pedi. I'm just like, I want to be doing something <laughs> else. I can't sit here for this. Do you view sheet masks as kind of like your weekend Absolutely. treat? Yeah. Sheet masks, you know, with what I discovered with K-Beauty, I was like, I, I can do this while I'm multitasking, picking up my kids' stuff and, like, running around the house and getting stuff done, cleaning out my closet, doing business calls, like, whatever it is. I just am too busy to go, and I don't have time. Yeah. God bless these women who are constantly at their facialists. I, I Where? How do they carve out the time? It's a lot. It's a lot for sure. Okay, so you mentioned hair, and you yeah. have always been known for having amazing hair. Oh, my God. Thank what are you. Your, what God. are your hair secrets? It got, like, fried off with bleach, like, a year and a half ago, and I've been in, like, major recovery. And my hair is kind of, like, all I have at this point. Like, <laughs> you know, I've got, like, forearms and hair. So I, I've been taking the Metagenics prenatal vitamin packs. They're insane. They're a miracle. I put them on my Beauty Junkie Week 
And then other than that, I do a lot of hair masks. Yeah, same here. This is like a big question in this office, but I feel like in the beauty world, how often do you wash your hair? How, like how often do you shampoo? I mean, if I can once a week. I hate washing my hair. I have the type of hair that takes 17,000 hours to dry. <laughs> and I also just think it looks better every day. And then I'm lazy. I do wash my body, everyone. I am clean. <laughs> I shower every single day. But the hassle of washing my hair, and I also love the natural oils going through it. I love a great thing that's so healthy for your hair is taking a brush and dragging those oils through the hair and sitting like a little Disney princess and just brushing it, brushing it, brushing it. That's one of the best things you can do for your hair. Up until a year ago, I was totally one of those people who was like, no, I have to wash my hair every single day. And then I stopped. And then now I'm maybe like two or three times a week. But it is amazing that it's like your your head adjusts. Yeah. And it is, it's so much easier now. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I definitely shower every day. And then I love Batiste dry shampoo. That stuff is the number one for me. I love it so much. It actually does what it's supposed to do. A lot of dry shampoos are kind of gummy. Yeah. And then they look like dandruff after a while. Yeah, and I know. Well, especially on my hair because it's black. Like anything will show up white if it's not tinted usually. That's right. The Bumble and Bumble brown powder, hair yep. powder that comes in the atomizer, that one's, yeah, really, that one's good. really good. I always have a can of Batiste like in my bag because I just want to not have to wash it every day. Yeah. And in terms of supplements – Yes. The, the prenatal is kind yeah. of your go-to. Do you take any other supplements that you think are helping beauty-wise? I'm obsessed with Kimberly Snyder. Uh, she's a nutritionist and she has supplements. There are digestive enzymes and magnesium. And I take my digestive enzymes with every meal. And I take my magnesium at night. And it's just like this constant barnacle sloughing every single day, all day long. And it makes I completely notice a difference when I'm not doing it. So I've, you know, again, supplements. I never took a vitamin in my life. I never wore sunblock. I didn't wash my hair. I didn't give a shit. I was just like, I was into color cosmetics and keeping it supernatural. And then at about 40, everything changed. And I was like, makeup is great. And there's a whole world out there that I'm ready to embrace. Yeah, well, you start to realize how much just like overall lifestyle and wellness has a, an effect on what you look like and how you feel. Like I, about a year and a half ago, was eating really terribly and I was drinking a lot of, this was the key, I think, I was drinking a lot of white wine and rosé and I had a really bad issue with rosacea and also just cystic acne. I literally just switched my wine from drinking rosé and white wine to red wine and it helped. Really? <laughs> so it was just like this eye-opening moment where I was like, God, like everything that you put into your body really does show up in some way. Yeah, no, it does. And I... I, you know, I struggle because I eat so clean all the time. And then I just go on these like benders. And it's just, I I love eating pasta and Chinese food. And I'm like, oh, it has MSG. Great. I'm like, just bring it on. I think you get older and you realize you are not immortal. And everything you do has an effect. And you just start going... I have to take care of myself. I don't know what or why if young people care because I thought I was going to live forever in my teens and 20s and even into my mid-30s. I About mid, about 34 or 35, I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay. And then I decided to get married and have children and that 
went different than I had planned. And you start to see the effects of your life choices show up everywhere like neon signs. And you just go, okay, like this is who and what I am, but I want to be a little more gentle. I want to take care of it. I want to be psychologically healthy. As soon as we're done here, I'm going to a two-hour therapy session. I can't wait. (laughs) Um, Cognitive therapy, like high road thinking, understanding our place in the universe and our significance, and kind of just de-escalating all of the, you know, little hamster wheels we get in our hearts and our heads and balancing it and normalizing it and realizing our place in the world. You're someone who seems so balanced. Besides therapy, like how how else do you do self-care? Like how do you stay kind of grounded? You know what I do? I go on vacations with my friends all the time. Like I travel with my kids and if they have a weekend with their dad, I usually am like, girls, let's go somewhere and do something. I just got back from swimming in Lake Austin (gasps) with my friends for a couple days and it was so rejuvenating. I'll be like, let's go here. And I'm the same way with my kids. I'm like, kids, guess what? We're going to Disneyland this weekend. Or we're going to go to, like, Tennessee. Or we're going to go, you know, to the Bahamas. Or we're going to go to Austin. I'm always taking them everywhere. Kids, throw your stuff in the car. We're going to a lake. It's so healthy to get out of your space, right? I am constantly on the move. And I think that's how I keep life so exciting. Is And I just – and then – I don't mind if I'm inside, you know, a dark room, like, working all day. I'm so grateful. I know that's what it takes to be able to get and go. And I love seeing everything. My other fantasy in life truly is to be a travel writer. Oh, it's the best. For me, travel and food. Like, if I could be, like, a travel food writer. Yeah, that's all I want to do. Like, I want to work at Condé Nast Traveler, travel and leisure, food and wine, departures, Bon Appetit. These are my aggregators that I'm constantly sourcing from. And I'm a magazine girl, subscribe to everything. And I can't stand, I know the digital era, but I'm just not. I'm I'm from another generation. You know what? I think we should all like freaking forgive ourselves. Like I'm not a techie girl. I don't have an iPad. I don't want to look at my shit on an iPad. I like magazines and pens and papers and globes and typewriters I'm not into it. Yeah. I know I it's like, like there's, oh, a, wait. there's a movement back to that though too. Cause I think even among like a younger generation, they're kind of tired of being on devices all the time. Good. I hope when by the time our kids are older, like cell phones and social media is passe. I swear <laughs> to God, I do. I'm like, this is great. By the time my kids are older, this will be so burnt out that it'll be cool to be anti. I mean, that's me secretly hoping and wishful thinking, just because I know how hard social media is for kids. I, I, There's, you know, too many studies. And by the way, all the parents in Silicon Valley, they don't let their kids on devices, which I think is a really sick thing. Yeah, it's very telling. It's right? like, you're all drug dealers. <laughs> and you don't want your kids on the drugs? That's interesting, because you don't think it's good and safe. Interesting. But it's okay for everybody else. Interesting. (laughs) Hmm. So I want to be mindful of your time. Is there, I guess, as we wrap up, everyone knows how to follow you on Instagram and on social and everything. I know. Like, I hate social media, so follow me (laughs) at Drew Barrymore. The one thing I will say about social media and the way that I conduct myself on it is you can see the diversity of interests I have. And I will say being 
someone who does live a public life and cannot change that unless I remove my face, I love sharing with people and I love a curation of life. And there's a lot of social media I'm obsessed with because it's just a great encyclopedia aggregator and wealth of being at a library every day at your fingertips of looking to people that you are interested in what they have to share. The sharing component, the innocence, the artistry, the inspirational aspect of social media, I I can't get enough of that, I will say. Totally. I think it's just, it's not becoming a slave to it. Yeah. And I think there's a, a fine line sometimes between that and viewing it in a healthy way and then viewing it in a really negative way. Yeah. So I think, I mean, you obviously have a very positive attitude towards it. Is there anything else just as a shameless plug that you want to share with our audience? I would love everyone to look at Flower Kids. We have some in-store and some available on .com. If you have kids or don't even have kids, you should look at the stuff because it is, you talk about the rainbow, the human rainbow, the rainbow aspect, colorful and joyful. Um, I'm really proud of Flower Home and Flower Kids. I think your listeners actually, Flower Home is even, you know, just as appropriate, if not more. But those two things, they're giving me so much pleasure and it's sharing literally my love of design and making things. And when I was in taxi cabs in New York when I was a kid in the early 80s, I used to lie to all the taxi drivers and make up stories about my life so I could pretend to be someone else. And sometimes I tell people that I make chairs now because I do. I just want to be a furniture maker. (laughs) (laughs) A furniture making travel food writer. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my God. No, that is my game plan is to make enough money in my life so that my retirement plan can absolutely be and nothing but travel or food writer, even if it has to be self-generated and self-funded and it's my own blog, or I can come work at one of these periodicals, these institutions that I have followed and learned from and my whole life. If I could come work at one of these magazines, I, my life stream will be fulfilled. Okay, we're going to get you a column <laughs> somewhere. I, I need it. I'm actually taking a trip next week because I'm doing a piece on travel for a book. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so it's starting, Michelle. (laughs) Help me. All right, amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Michelle, thank you so much for having me. I'm such a fan of yours. And I have to tell you, as a magazine junkie, your covers are of another level. They cannot be compared. Their total art and what you're bringing to the industry is so honestly the bar thank you so much that honestly that means so much it's true all right thank you so much bye everyone bye